Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the world's leading podcast for injectors and cosmetic businesses. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, an aesthetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend David Segal, an entrepreneur and an aesthetic business mentor. Each episode of IA showcases unfiltered conversations with guests from around the world. In a sometimes disjointed industry, IA aims to help educate and connect our global community to raise the bar for both our businesses and our patients. To further support and educate our listeners, we offer a range of additional resources under our IA Patreon subscription service. This caters for injectors and business owners of all levels and includes interactive live Zoom sessions, webinars, hints and tip videos, private chat groups and exciting future content to come. To subscribe to IA Patreon, head to www.insideaesthetics.com forward slash Patreon or click the link in our podcast description. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. Hey guys, quick announcement before we jump into today's episode. Um, one of the topics that came up, Jake, during on many of the conversations we had with people at the event and some of the topics that were covered on stage was ultrasound. We've been talking about it for a while now on the podcast and we've had uh, Leonie Schelke on here before and we've actually partnered with her to provide our patrons or our listeners with a special offer. So tell us all about it. Yes. So um, Leonie was on episode 175. Mm -hmm. If you haven't listened to that one, that's a good one to start with. But our offer is partnering with her company called Cutaneous Facial Ultrasound. They are world-renowned as the the leaders in, I guess, ultrasound. Um, ultrasound goats. The goats, exactly. <laughs> so they actually do online courses as well as, um, you know, in-person in courses all around the world. And I was lucky enough to host their first Sydney one or Australian one. But the offer for you guys is 10% off any of their online courses. So if you go to um, cutaneous.nl, because they're based in the Netherlands, or of course the uh, information is in the podcast description below, check out all their courses. And if you're one of these injectors, like many of the people we spoke to at A23, who's like, oh, I don't know how to start all of this and I don't know where to go and do I buy a device? First thing to do is to do the online course to get your eye in, to understand the physics, and just to really, I guess, suss out where it's going to fit into your practice then maybe do a hands-on course either with Cutaneous or someone else. And then that's the time to maybe to commit to buying a device. Yeah, That's how I did it. It's working really well. I'm certainly no expert, but it's going really good. Uh, lots of interesting cases that I've already seen and helped people. Yeah. So um, enjoy all the information for your discount is down below. Just follow the instructions and enjoy this week's podcast. Yep. And happy ultrasounding. <laughs> See you guys. Fresh off the back of A23, we made it. I'm exhausted. <laughs> it was dead. What is A23? A23 stands for Aesthetics 23. Yeah. It is, I guess, one of the larger cosmetic conferences that we have on an annual basis here in Australia. So it's a concept or the brainchild of Dr. Stephen Liu, who's a renowned plastic surgeon who still does surgery, but has a, a, a special keen interest in injectables, and that's a large part of his practice, which is located in Sydney, in Darlinghurst, called Shape Medispa, and he's been on... Shape Clinic. Shape Clinic, sorry, has been... He's been on the podcast a couple of times. We've had other people from his team on here. So this is his concept, but, I mean, you're an avid conference-goer person. <laughs> uh, I mean, what do you think is, is sort of the point of difference, or how would you sort of rate A23 compared to what else is available here in Australia on an annual basis? So... I believe, I don't want to speak for Stephen, maybe we'll get him on one day to talk about the concepts, but I believe, you know, he was trying to do something 
different in a way to your average large scale conference. Uh, so it started in 2019. I think that was the first one we went to. And, you know, just visually the feel, the fun, but also the focus yeah. uh, was much more relevant for, you know, your everyday injecting where there's a lot of, um, uh, I guess, more relevant chat about off label rather than sticking to on label, um, really trying to involve all of the brands, yeah. um, as well as showcasing, of course, other things like skin and laser and, and so on. So bringing the best of the best together, which you would have thought yeah. most conferences already do. Yeah. But sometimes it doesn't feel that way. It always feels a little bit like a smorgasbord. Yeah. Whereas this feels more focused and relevant. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, anyway. So, if you've never been, go next year, A24. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So, I mean, you came and joined yeah. us for... Oh, in fact, why are we even doing this podcast? Why are we talking about well, this Well, we, we were um, privileged enough to have been asked or invited by, by Stephen to come and participate in the event itself. So, we weren't just there as a bystanders we were there and we we held a panel discussion with uh i think it was originally supposed to be seven but it ended up being <laughs> nine people turned up on stage <laughs> to essentially run like almost like a speed round podcast kind of concept with these kols that had come from more parts of the world like yeah. we had people from the uk like dr lee walker dr tapan patel dr dalvi humza um Stephanie Land. yeah we, we had a <laughs> we had a whole raft of them and they all come from different backgrounds different parts of the world and so um Stephen and, and us had been talking about how we, we'd be involved and uh, we landed on essentially leading a panel discussion and sort of grilled these KOLs on various <laughs> topics. I mean, 20 minutes is pretty brief for us. I mean, those that listen to us know we like to have long, long form discussions and our podcast kind of run for about 90, to min 90 minutes most of the time. So it was, it was put us on the spot and put us a little bit outside the comfort zone, which yeah. I think is important. I mean, you know, Stephen pitched it to the crowd as it's it's a, a live Inside Aesthetics podcast, which I guess, you know, in a way it was. And after this preamble, we're going to let you hear what, what happened. But um, it wasn't really a podcast, was yeah. it? it? Yeah, it, it was a panel discussion where we got to, I mean, Stephen and, and, and us were sort of planning this loosely over several months, but really we just designed it to be, Let's throw some curveballs at some yeah. clever people and see yeah. what happens. Yeah, and, and that wasn't, you know, if you're one of those guests, it wasn't de designed to trip you up. It was actually really designed to make the audience think, and and of course yourself think, because you know we turn up on stage, we do all this stuff. You kind of go through the motions, and sometimes you you can almost forget what you're doing. Yeah, and I think that as well that you know getting softball questions or questions that everyone's prepared for. It's Boring. kind. It's a bit of a. <laughs> It feels too contrived and, and sort of too planned, whereas we want to ask people questions that everyone's thinking yeah. and actually have them answered and, and not feel handcuffed or restrained by certain people that or companies that may be sort of, you know, funding you over there to, to sort of talk about certain things. So not a knock on that, that obviously it's important. We need those, those support, that support from those companies for the industry to run. But I think there's also an element of people wanting to ask tough questions and, and wanting answers to things and to sort of take all the spin away yeah. and get to the root of, of, of the topics. What was your feedback from uh, people that, you know, listened or watched? Oh, say? I mean, obviously we sort of in a bit of an echo chamber because people aren't going to come up and go, you know what, you really suck and that was shit. I don't shit. know. I reckon our <laughs> listeners would be honest with us by now. Yeah, look, I, I, the feedback we got was, was great. Um, I think that people would have liked us to 
go deeper, go deeper with some of these mm. questions because we asked them and we'll get to them in a minute and we are going to so just to sort of give you guys a, a flavor of what's coming we are going to talk for a little bit and just sort of unpack some of the topics that we sort of discussed but we are going to cut to the actual panel discussion so you guys can hear exactly what happened as it happened <laughs> what happened and as it happened at, at the actual event but we only sort of got to ask a single question and, that, and they gave a response, but we didn't really get to press them on it or sort of unpack it yeah. in any great detail, which I think would have been nice. So the feedback was positive. I think a lot of people were fans of the podcast and, and sort of were excited to sort of see us mm. and, and sort of be there in person and, and feel like part of the conversation. But yeah. I think the the message was how we would have loved if you guys could have gone for a little bit longer and, and sort of fleshed out things a little more. I have to admit um – even though it wasn't a podcast, it was obviously different. It, yeah. it, it did feel weird for us because, of course, mm. you know, we're sat here in our studio. Mm. I know where your where coffee is, your coffee <laughs> is. We know where all our stuff is. Uh, you know, we often would have had a bit of a preamble about what we're going to talk about. But to be thrust on stage in front of 800 people yeah. with not really any of our... Props. environment on props yeah. it, it did feel a bit disarming yeah um but at the same time it, it went perfectly fine we we're happy with it yeah it was great um so in terms of what we actually discussed mm. um do you want to sort of talk to any of those sort of points i mean well i mean well just to i guess go further on what you said so yes we we originally had seven guests lined oh, yep. up and, and essentially one question each we did also have a couple more up our sleeve just in case we had a bit more time for whatever reason yep. we never got to that um, Stephen was there with his whistle there was we had a town so not not only were we were in front of like eight or nine hundred people there was a screen in front of us with a countdown timer yeah. so, so we just like and Stephen was supposed to act as our timekeeper he, he specially bought this big green whistle uh, and and if a guest or in us went on for too long he was supposed to blow it did he blow it once he did in the end yeah yeah he did yeah. halfway i think i think was it who was answering the last question I think it, was it beatrice i think was answered with answering anyway remember. yeah and she got she got um she got hammer time to my whistle <laughs> <laughs> but like you say um it it, it felt not deep enough mm. you know you ask a question ask a question and I actually can't remember some of the responses because you're trying to yeah, think of the next think question, of the next question and, and you're almost not acting as a good host because you're not steering the conversation. Yep. You're just trying to get to the next question. Yep. But um, I, I felt like some of the guests, maybe deliberately or, or, or not deliberately, didn't quite answer the question. Yeah. And I wanted to sort of press them and say, hey, well, that's wonderful, but <laughs> but we never got to that. Yeah. So maybe we'll, we'll get one or two of our guests back on to explore some of these yeah. things. But in the meantime, why don't we play you what, yep. you know, what was said, what was done, and then after that, we'll unpack one or two of the, the major themes. Cool. Enjoy, right. guys. Thank you very much. Uh, if I can have the panel all up here, please. So, uh, Angelo, if we can bring the panel for this session up, please. Uh, welcome, everyone. I just want to announce this is the very, very first time in the universe where we have a podcast, Hello. a pro professional podcast company in collaboration with Aesthetics. I thought it would be nice to have a live broadcast um, in front of a live audience rather than that tiny little room these two are normally used to. And um, this, are, this is obviously inside Aesthetics for overseas individuals. These are a, a uh, well-known podcast in this part of the country and the rest of the world. 
The, you can actually take the QR code and also just below it, there's another QR code for inside aesthetic Patreons that these two sort of run in terms of workshop as well as business, um, running of a business. So with that in mind, I'm just going to pass over to Jake Sloan and David to start the podcast. You have 23 minutes, guys. No pressure then. Oof. <laughs> so welcome, guys. Uh, we're going to try and use this, uh, I guess, as a real podcast. We're going to see what audio we can get. See what happens. So welcome to the first ever Live Inside Aesthetics. Um, Obviously, this is going to be a little bit different to what we normally do. Normally, it's about an hour and a half. We've got 20 minutes and a few more guests than we normally have. Turbo session. Turbo session. And Stephen's going to be our timekeeper. And I don't know if we'll get through all of our guests. We've got one question lined up for all of you. And I didn't know that Priya was going to be joining us, so we'll try and make up a question for you. Um, and Stephen, where's your whistle? Where's your green whistle? It's all under control. Okay. <laughs> Let's start to show, guys. So for our guests, Please, no longer than a minute, minute and a half, so we can try and rattle through yeah. everyone. And I guess for people listening to this podcast, when it comes out and gets published, we've got joined by, well, what's seven? There's more, is that eight now? Nine. Uh, nine? Nine. Nine world, lead, world leading injectors and thought leaders from around the world. So just to give it some context. Absolutely. So we're going to start with Dr. Stephanie. Yep. Hello, we met Ooh. yesterday. Hello. Um, you're a plastic surgeon from Hong Kong, for the benefit of the people who don't know. That's right. Um, yesterday, I enjoyed your workshop with Priya. Well done. It was great. And one of the words you used was lifting. Mm -hmm. Very controversial term in non-surgical aesthetics, I guess. So do you truly believe that fillers lift? And if so, how? I think fillers reposition. But to a patient, the idea of repositioning sometimes can be a little bit difficult to understand. And since patients every day, um, just like Tapan was saying, every day in the morning, they kind of do this lifting or three-finger salute anyway. A lot of times when I use the term lifting, it's, that's kind of what I mean. But in reality, I feel that we are more repositioning the saggy tissues. So with just a couple of drops of HA filler compared to a facelift, we can nudge tissue in a different direction. Towards the right direction. It cannot obviously change it to the point where it's as taut as what we can achieve surgically, but it can certainly achieve a you know, visible outcome that the patients can appreciate and they feel they're satisfied with. Okay. Mm. Mr. Walker, <laughs> are you sweating yet? Are you <laughs> <laughs> uh, profusely, uh, <laughs> obviously. All right, so the term KOL has come under a little bit of scrutiny, a little bit of online mockery for some, from some big accounts. I won't go into specific. What does it even mean? K, K, well, maybe you can tell us what you think it means. Uh, I think it used to mean key opinion leader, and yep. I think that uh, the, the minds within the, the companies would often give opinions which were key, and we would lead them. Um, that, I think that's what KOL means. Um, but what it means now is something, is something very different. Mm. I don't particularly like the term KOL. I just like the term uh, medical educator. Yeah. Um, very specific to aesthetic medicine. Um, because there's lots of key opinion leaders. And one of the questions I used to ask is, so what key opinions have you led? <laughs> it's like, well, none. 
So it's about medical education. I think when we re-term the semantics, just like the lift, I think about lift as uh, just movement of light rather than repositioning of tissues because that's what we chase. We chase shadows and and, and beauty lives in light. So the key opinion leader thing, I think it's a bit of a, a misnomer because lots of companies don't ask opinions of their key opinion leaders. They just ask them to inject on a stage and try to get the best out of the product as possible. So I'd like to, I'd like to see a change in the semantics to uh, uh, medical education. And I'd like some of the medical educators to actually become teachers. And that's one of the things that, that I did. I taught myself to be a teacher yeah. by going back to school and getting postgraduate uh, qualifications sure. in clinical and medical education. Sure. And I guess just to follow up from that question, I mean, you guys have flown all around the world. You've got all your expenses paid, you wined and you dined. Do you think there's um, any sort of validity to people thinking that there might be a form of unconscious bias there? So what do you say to those critics who think that key opinion leaders could be essentially like paid stooges to a certain extent? Uh, you have to agree because you, you stick your flag in the ground and you work for that company. It's, you know, Tapan's not going to talk about the products I work with and I'm not going to talk about them. There is an element of bias, but there's an element of bias in sports. You wear a red shirt and you want to kick the ball in the other person's goal. So there's always an element of bias uh, amongst it. it it's, it's, how you, um, it's how you drive that education forward. <laughs> Me personally, I'm, an, I'm very evidence-based, so everything that I do tends to come from the evidence and instead of a, a technique or a certain way to do things for me it's about trying to use the current evidence base to try and get the best out of the products which I'm which I'm using yeah and do you ever find yourself in a position where maybe you might disagree with the company's stance or what do you do in those positions where you might find yourself morally compromised or, or professionally compromised I don't like to <laughs> myself in either of those compromising uh, uh, positions but again, we, we have that sort of very simple ATP and we have clinical freedom to do what we want yeah. to do. And I think that's the important thing is that when you're offered clinical freedom, you can utilize your own skill set to get the best out of it. You know, not everybody wants to inject in a certain way, in an algorithmic way. I understand that's an easy way to remember things and to get you started off. But for me, technique is about how I do yeah. things and I'll utilize the rheology yeah. based around my, my skill set. Yeah. So, so I yeah. think... Clinical freedom, I think, is one of the good things that I have. Yeah, uh, thank you. I mean, tough question, but I think that you know we live in a world now where people appreciate transparency and honesty. And yeah, thank you. Tapan, how are you feeling after last night? I'm worried more about what you're about to ask. <laughs> <laughs> so look, um, we're all trainers. We've all had to live inject. It's pressure. You said we can ask anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to know about last night. <laughs> And look, when you're on stage live injecting, you've got a room full of backseat drivers criticizing, critiquing. So if you were chairing a meeting and you were watching some live injectings from one of your colleagues and they did something pretty unsterile, would you let it slide or would you call them out and educate the audience? First of all, I hope, I'm just trying to think of what I did in my live injection <laughs> and I hope it's not a targeted question. Um, look. I think it's important to understand um, there is what we do in our clinics on a day-to-day -day basis. We have a comfort zone. We have familiarity with that. And for anyone who hasn't injected in a workshop environment, it is slightly different. You know, you're using um, 
an environment you're not used to, the lighting is different, there's a cameraman there, you're trying to educate, you're trying to get a result, you're trying to prove, uh, you're trying to showcase certain things. You may have an assistant you've never used. And, you know, in Australia, it's different for us from an English-speaking world, but you could go to some parts of the world where your assistants, your patients, there could be a language block. So let's start by understanding that it is a different skill set, mm -hmm. okay? It's one that takes a bit of practice. And sometimes we do things which we wouldn't normally do in clinical practice. And we may not even be aware we're doing them, okay? So I'm, I know that pretty much everyone who makes it into a senior faculty for any company has a great skill set you know, sterile injecting. Yes, in the heat of the moment, things will often happen that, you know, you may uh, not even realize you might be touching the skin or inserting a needle without swabbing, cleaning, or whatever. If I see it in the audience, it, it can be, you know, awkward, um, you know, with uh, colleagues to sort of bring something up. I think it, it just depends on the nature of the friendship you share with that person. Um, I always say that, you know, with any um, educational experience, you've got to take the good and the bad. And as a, a delegate, you've got to say, okay, what did I like about that? What did, you know, I like the way he or she held the syringe. I like the way they did the markings. I like the way they positioned the patient. What did I not agree with? Um, okay, I will make sure that I, moving forward, will take greater care uh, with the sterility, with the um, hemostasis, with the uh, patient comfort or whatever. So I think, you know, your point is, is that when you're watching it, it's not necessary to criticize, but to take the messages, both positive and negative, and just make sure that you as an individual take that back to your own personal training. Mm. I'll call you Dr. Hamza because you haven't met yet. <laughs> call me whatever you like, really. I've heard, I've heard you're, a very, you're a very deep thinker, so this question has been specifically designed um, for you. And so I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. So we're in an industry now where we're incentivized to buy more products, and we buy more products. We get favorable or discounted rates from pharmaceutical companies. Um, do you think that's ethical? Do you think that's right? Um, what are your thoughts on that? I, I guess because as you know, healthcare practitioners, you're not wanting to oversell, and we're living in that world now where people want honesty and they want real. So what do you think about that sort of difficult proposition? I think there are quite a lot of products now. So just go by an acronym, which I like, which is called HAIL, okay? Uh, HAIL's very useful. You know, be honest. Right? Look at those and get some honesty about those products. Do they really work? Then you need to look at the authenticity. You know, who are the people behind it? Is there a good authenticity of that about it? Um, and then you have some integrity. And this is what we all have to have. We all have to have some integrity in what we do. And that's really important. If, you're in, if you've got the integrity, you will be able to shift out all that sort of, you know, what's good, what's bad, and be there. And finally, which is a really personal thing, you must have love. You must love the work, the work you do. You must love the product you're using. And then it doesn't matter whether it's one product or another. If you love that product, you will get really good results with it. And those are, I think, the four principles. If you use that, you will really get excellent results, both for yourself and your patients. Mm -hmm. Now, Dr. Wanek Fakdidicha. Be before we Oof. do that, before we <laughs> do that, we've got give some me easy time one. Here. Easy one, please. Oh, well, <laughs> thinking that. about your next Thailand trip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by the beach. For the princess. Del Del Delvi. <laughs> Delvi, that was so good. And this but wasn't I scripted. I just <laughs> yeah, no, thought. but I don't think you have answered the question, though. <laughs> have you? Oh, my goodness. Are you noticed? You got a round of applause. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds very good. 
That's why you're so great, but I'm a tough interviewer. What was the question? Remember the question? Yeah. Me the well, the que okay. <laughs> the question is, is it ethical for a pharmaceutical company to offer discounts for us to buy in bulk? And what does that do oh, in right. terms of your decision-making uh, process? Um, I think it depends what you mean by ethics. Because mm. there's business ethics and there's a medical ethics. Yeah. Right? So medical ethics is one thing. Medical ethics is how you're going to be treating that patient. Now, the business ethics is slightly different because a business is a business, and the business is the company has its business, the company has its responsibility to its shareholders, it has a, a business to run. And any company that runs a business that doesn't give discounts and bulk is probably just biting its face, and that's not right. But would you consider your clinic a business as well? In your clinical business, I probably don't give bulk discounts to patients. You know, there are certain things, you know, obviously, we all do it. Look, if you're doing surgery and you're doing three procedures rather than one, you don't charge them three times one procedure. Yeah. You do one plus 50% plus 25% or whatever. That's a normal thing because yeah. you're not three things. So, so then you're saying, is it ethical that you give a, a discount when you're doing a surgery? Well, it, yeah. it, is, it is ethical because it's, it's working on that same principle. So a company would have to give you a discount. It's just like if you went down to a warehouse and bought, I don't know, 10 cars for your, your fleet of cars, you would yeah. get a discount. So yes, I think it's, it's fairly ethical, as long as it's not compromising patient yeah. safety and the ethics of the patient. But it's kind of, it's a, it's, it's a difficult situation, isn't it? Because you've got medical and you've also got com the commercial realities of running a business and it's about trying to find the middle uh, and, ground and, 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 and making sure the ethics yeah, are still in. And this is the issue of any part of med medicine where you've got money exchanging hands. And mm -hmm. it's something that we all have to face. Yeah. Because if you work in a public sector where you're not charging patients, that's easy. You know, I can order any, any operation, do whatever procedure I like. But when money starts changing hands, <coughs> that's where that honesty, integrity and all that comes in. Because yeah. you have to have that. Because I know there's situations where injectors will buy a whole lot of product you talk to other injectors who like to have an array of different weapons in their arsenal. Yeah. And then so if you've already spent all that money on one product, are you sort of limiting your capacity or ability to treat with other products if you think they're Indeed. more appropriate? So, yeah. yeah, so you choose the product that you like rather than mm. just buying it all in bulk. Have we grilled him enough, Stephen? Or Is that enough, Stephen? <laughs> I thought he answered very well. <laughs> well I guess in pro. summary, are they buying your loyalty is, is really the point. Mm. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> loyalty and buying loyalty is something that you have to fight against. And yeah. I think it, it, it also comes exactly what Lee was talking about, you know, what do you do when, when you don't agree with the company? You have to call out, you have to, you have, to have your standards and, and abide by that standard. Perfect. Now, I'm going to say it again. Dr. Wanek Fakdadicha, otherwise known as Dr. Salmon Spur. You can pronounce even better than my husband. Oh, <laughs> it's your husband's name, isn't it? <laughs> Um, question for you, and I did check that you do threads before you got here, I texted you. So, lifting threads we're talking about. Oh, we've had, what, 221 podcasts now? And every time we get someone on, we ask them either online or offline, what do you think of lifting threads? And honestly, the vast majority have been disappointed. They've tried, they've played, used different brands, etc. And very few, including yourself, are, are doing it regularly. So, are you just amazing? Or are we stupid? Like, what, what is it that people are not getting that you're getting? Why are you satisfied and we're not? Can I pretend not to understand the questions? <laughs> <laughs> because I'm not speaking English as far as I'm But to be honest, so let's think about it here. Um, we all 
need mechanical lifting from time to time. So like, you know, energy-based device is tightening, but sometimes when you claim the lifting, it's so difficult. And to be honest, not much of the company or machine can get the FDA for the lifting. So lifting is the difficult word. And that is why, like, you know, when the patient coming to us and then having that kind of lift, that is mechanical lifting. So for me, I think when you're working with thread and then you want to get a very good result, what you are looking for is any thread that provide temporary short-term mechanical lifting. But, you know, you need something to stimulate collagen over the period of time. So which means the composition of the thread is supposed to be very important. So there is some of the thread, I'm not mentioning the name, that has composition that when it dissolves, it stimulates collagen along the area that you put the thread on. And I'm thinking that might be the ideal thread. So, you know, you don't need something that is stay like, like that for forever because one day when you, like your fat redisposition, like fall again, you might get something that is like, you know, like that and looks so unnatural. So, for me, I think you need something that can be used for filling the gap that fillers, toxin, and energy-based device cannot really provide. That is the short-term lifting. So, I think that is the threat coming for. I am Professor Rongsema's brother. I think the time brother. is up. <laughs> yeah. I'm Professor Rongsema. I, I think the question that you ask your panel is, if you ask most Asian plastic surgeon and, and dermatologists, they do believe in it. Mm. And simply because we're talking about a completely different type of patient selection. You have a lot of Asian patients who have a thicker dermis, the fat pads are a lot more fibrous. Whereas the Anglo-Saxon, the European, the everybody else, the fat as you get older become quite soft like butter, and if you have the barb, it just cuts through easily. So that's that's why I actually agree with you that those patients works well. It is not lifting, just like Stefania Lamb said, it is actually repositioned the fat, it creates an illusion that it is a bit higher. Uh, and I said that because even though I don't do a lot. We select patient carefully. For every 10 patients wanting threat, I maybe pick one. Yeah. I think that's a, is a patient selection. Perfect. Okay. Zenaid. Oh my God, the question. <laughs> Have I pronounced <laughs> I it correctly? This is a hard I, one. I'm now off the hook. <laughs> so we've seen a lot of products being injected today. Um, presumably, presumably you've used uh, many of them, if not all of them. And you hear a lot of key opinion leaders or people who are at the top of their game say, HA's HA's, fillers, filler, if you know what you're doing, you should be able to use any product. So is there a difference between fillers? Is it just corporate spin? Is rheology real? What do you think? Um, rheology is absolutely crucial <laughs> <laughs> in, in, in the construction of any kind of HA-based gel. Um, so HA is essentially very cheap to buy. Uh, and you Not know, here. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, because you have regulation. <laughs> Um, I would say that, I mean, it's, it's a molecule that you could very easily manipulate into a skincare product or topical, and you could actually modify it into, oh, sorry, into a um, significantly more robust sort of high G prime gel. 
where, um, and, and with, with all the esteemed panel, we are comparing premium fillers with premium fillers, and it's really in their research and in their composition that you find that they all have their superpower. It's the cross-linking design, it's its, it's, its performance in the tissue, maintaining the longevity that it says on the side of the box. So I think that it is very, very important for each um, a key opinion leader to actually understand the rheology first before they kind of like sort of take it, take it to market. Um, we, we also, um, the more we work with it within our particular brand, I think the better we get at it. Yeah. We, we know what it does, we know where we should place it, we know the volumes that we should, we should be using superficially and deep. And I think that is really uh, where you take what, you know, the gel that is in the syringe and you kind of complete your, your full 360 treatment plan with your patient. Yeah. Um but for new injectors who potentially don't have a lot of experience, you know, as soon as they finish, the pharmaceutical companies are very keen to get hold of them and, and sell them their story, and I'm not here to say whether that's true or whether it's not, but how, how, what advice would you have for new injectors that are trying to figure out what product they should use for their, for their methods and their patients and what works for them? Because you need the experience, right? Absolutely. Um, I would say before you kind of settle on a particular brand, most injectors in the UK will take the best of each of the brands and put them together. Uh, it's really how a product will perform in your hand when you're performing a treatment. So I would say to them, just try the premium products. Really don't, you know, go <coughs> subpar. You have the premiums in Australia. We have 200 brands of HA filler available for purchase in the UK. So I would say, you know, keep it premium. It is a medical specialty. It is a med medical procedure. I see it as a minor surgical procedure, even just the placement of filler. So I would say, try a lot of the different brands, attend the teaching, attend the training, trainings that are on offer, you know, a lot have uh, e-learning platforms that they could, uh, you know, see some skill, do some cases, build their portfolio and reflect on it before they decide, you know, if they want to settle on one particular brand or just use the best of each. I've got one last question for our friend Beatrice. I've not met you before, so hello. Hello. Um, Zanae just touched on the fact that the UK lacks regulation. So, we in Australia, nurses, doctors, dentists can inject, in the UK, anyone can inject. So where do we draw the line? What, who is competent? I think that's a very good question. And we do have a very serious issue in the United Kingdom, because as you very rightly say, I think years ago it was pretty much just doctors, then nurses came along and they started injecting, then we got the dentist. But over the last few years, because there is not a process for regulation, which stops non-medics to inject. People started, so beauty therapists first, then, I don't know, anyone really. I mean, you could own a gene and just decide you do a little bit of a course and then that's it, you offer a little bit of training and power and then a little bit of injecting. So we do have a problem. Um, at the moment, uh, the JCCP is uh, working very closely with government and also with the British College of Aesthetic Medicine, obviously the nurses, associations just together to try to regulate it. It's been happening for a little while now, quite a few years, uh, but we're moving very slowly like a turtle forward. I think it's going to be hard to stop it fully because once people are doing it, how are you going to suddenly, unless government finally passed this law, mm -hmm. which at the moment they're not very interested because they've got so many other problems, I think, in the lab. So it's hard, very hard.
Yeah. Well, one of the problems we have in Australia is we're reasonably well regulated, and yet when new laws are passed, like 1st of July, suddenly people are up in arms saying it's too much and it's too difficult. So it's very hard to actually say we want regulation because when you're regulated, you then complain and say we don't like it. So, but what is really, uh, in a way, uh, very strange is that, for example, us doctors are extremely regulated. Like we have to do an appraisal every year, we have to do so many hours of training, we have to submit a lot of documentation every year to be on the GMC registry. So for us, it's fine. Nurses got a similar process, then this got a process. It's the rest. They don't have anything. But because it's not illegal, mm. when fortunately, in other places... Easy legal. Thank you very much. <laughs> I think that means it's time, does it? Yeah. Thank you very much, Inside Aesthetics. Thank you. That Thank was you a guys. good run. We'll do a slightly longer one next week. Thank Thank you, the rest of the panel, do you want to stay here for us, Ooh, please? All right. If we can. Thank you. Thank you. What do you guys think? <laughs> Did we pass? Yeah. Oh, look, it was obviously not a live podcast in any traditional IA episode but yeah. it never, nonetheless I think it was hopefully enjoyable to listen to mm. what some of the guests said so I, I think the two of the sort of key questions that maybe you did yeah. get, chan- uh, get yeah. a chance to press a bit more was the question that you originally posed to Lee Walker um, Lee's a, uh, the Tioxane global lead for education he's a dentist by trade uh, wonderful guy good friend of the podcast and I mean you asked the question what, what was it well it was it the question was surrounding KOLs, so if, you know, key opinion leader is, is that's the, the, the KOL is the acronym, mm. and it's come under a bit of scrutiny and and I guess mockery or questions around the legitimacy of this KOL, which is essentially someone that's been handpicked mm. um, by a company to provide opinions. Yes, uh, and. I guess the aim is that those opinions are in line with the message that the company wants to get across. And for that, and, and you're a KOL as well, mm. so I mean, you know, we're just being brutally honest here. In return for those uh, opinions and lending their credibility to to the to the product or the company, um, that KOL is then financially remunerated. So yeah. they get an amount of money for appearing. They get their flights and accommodation taken care of. Mm. I, I would assume there is an allowance for food and yeah. sort of that per DM kind of arrangement. And so the question was, you know, like there have been some pretty pretty big um, personalities on on the internet, like people like Dr. Christian Subio, who's got a, a very big following and has a, a very, very funny, funny account, which gets a lot of attention. And I think it was about a year ago, he sort of, you know, had some fairly disparaging things to say about the whole concept of the KOL. And I, I, I sort of can see where he's coming from. So this is not a criticism of his, but I guess it just started, the, no, not a criticism of him, but I guess it was the impetus for some discussions that have flowed on from there, which yeah. is, is this right? Are these people, is it sort of like a pay for play kind of thing? How, mm. how unbiased is your opinion? So the question to Lee was with all of this sort of criticism that's come about in mm. relation to the key opinion leader term, you know, what do you say to the critics that think you're just essentially a paid stooge? Yeah. Um, and so that was the question that was asked. And I mean, you, I mean, <laughs> what did you think of the response? I thought he answered it pretty well. Yeah. I mean, and I had just to say, I, I may have even referenced myself as a cow in the past, but I, no, I don't think I've ever officially been given a title. Yeah. I don't think, um, you know, the people I've represented have ever said, you are a KOL. Um, 
Yeah. It's it, it just seems to sort of be an industry definition. Yeah. But I don't know if it, if it's an official term. I don't know. Yeah. Um but yeah, I think Lee Lee was sort of right. Um what what is your opinion? Yeah. Because if you are going on stage just to deliver a slide deck that's been approved and mm-hmm. branded, it's not really your opinion at all. You're just a a spokesperson, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um but but you know I don't know any trainers. I, I can't think of an example where someone has gone up and not, you know, then coloured that conversation with their own experience yeah. or their own spin on things. Yeah, and, and that really is where, well, that's why you've been handpicked to do the talk mm. or, or the training because, yeah. sure, you've been given a product, a technique, but in your own practice, you, you're going to maybe develop your own cool mm. little spin on that. Yeah. So I, I, I sort of feel like any trainer who goes up and talks probably does have an opinion. Mm-hmm. Don't know if it's key. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think it's a little bit harsh to say you're just a paid stooge and you just yeah. do doing what you're paid to do. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anyone with any credibility would want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess sometimes the, the effects of being paid to, to do something can sort of find its way into your subconscious yeah and so while you whilst you might not be consciously saying things that you don't sort of agree with there is i mean we're all human beings at the end of the day no matter Mm. how many degrees you have or letters you have before or after your name we are all still susceptible to unconscious bias and and so and also what tends to happen is you get caught in these little echo chambers where all of a sudden you're a kol for a certain company and you're talking to other kols and you're dealing with people like you're just sort of surrounded by that product so you almost in in some ways develop a like an immunity to anything outside of those views because you've got to find yourself there and it's not it's not really a criticism because i don't know if there's a better way to do it i mean i've got a few loose ideas on on sort of how you would try and remove that perception of you know actual or perceived um bias but i understand the company's perspective because People believe doctors and, and, and nurses and people that have got experience and credibility and a track mm. record in a particular space. Yeah. And so you want someone who carries that sort of gravitas and has that knowledge to then be, you know, a flag bearer for your product and to be able to give that t- technical information. So the criticism isn't without acknowledgement that it's a necessary evil. Yes. It's just we need to recognize it and are there ways we potentially can do it better? Yeah. I mean, this is actually an interesting concept and, and going back to what is A23 or the concept yeah. of the um, previous conferences as well, it was supposed to be about being unbiased, yeah. as brand unspecific as possible. But of course, you need some product and you need someone to inject yeah. it on stage. So yeah, of course. one suggestion actually from one of the listeners, which I thought was actually pretty good and mm-hmm. reasonable would be, well, you know, if this is, um, I don't know, uh, a KOL from... I don't know, stylage, then that probably should be made explicit just mm-hmm. so there's no um, gray or, or you're left to sort of question, well, well what is this product and, and, yeah. and who does this person represent? Just be completely honest. Yeah. Say this person's been flown from London. Yes, they're sponsored. This is the product they're going to use and take it or leave it. That That's what yeah. we're going to do today. Yeah. And I feel like if you're going to be truly, truly, truly transparent, do that for everyone, whether you're from Allegan, Galderma, yeah. Tioxane, whoever. Just say. It's not It's not like a secret. We know it's come from somewhere. Yeah, of course. And then it just feels like, yeah, transparent. I can't think of a better word. Yeah. I guess as well, and I don't really understand the rules on this because it seems like some people, some KOLs have almost been given a pass to represent multiple companies. Mm-hmm. 
you know, so someone like Stephen who's got the reputation and the track record to kind of command maybe different rules for him than there are for other people. You know, you'll find someone like him might be able to say, well, no, I'm going to talk about Allegan products and I'm going to talk about Galderma products and mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about Tioxane products and you're all going to pay me for it and my opinion is my opinion and that's just how it is and you can take it or leave it. And then there are others who are asked to sign, I think, exclusivity with certain with certain brands and then so why are there different rules for different people? That kind of has never really made sense to me. Um, I've never seen someone, I'm sure it does exist, none of the companies I've worked with have ever said you've got to be exclusive. It may well is be... Is it implied? The, is it kind of implied though? Uh, no, you have to declare your, um, I guess, uh, associations with other brands. So if I work for two filler companies, which I do, um, you know, I have to tell both companies that this okay. is what I'm doing. And of course, if they're not comfortable with that, then they might not employ me. That That's different. Okay. So, if Tioxane, me. so if Tioxane called you tomorrow and said, hey, Dr. Jake, we love you. We want to offer you X amount of dollars to be our, <laughs> our key opinion leader, knowing that you're committed to Allegan. And they say, well, we don't have a problem with that. We're happy to share you. How, what, how, what, would, could, what, what would your what would your reaction be and, and how do you think Allegan would respond to that? Well, I think it's easy to answer to say that happens. I, yeah. I have several colleagues who in the last year have done that. So, And how does that go? Are they successful in it? Yeah, they're, well, they're doing it. I, yeah. I don't know if they're successful. Okay. Um, of course, it, it, you know, whether you're, I don't want to use any brand's name, but you kind of want that that trainer to sort almost be yours, not because you own them, but because it, it, it adds to the credibility. Yeah. Um, you know, using Stephen's example, he's an extremely experienced global injector. He's yeah. a plastic surgeon. It would almost be strange that he doesn't um, yeah. have the ability to not be able to talk from mm. from many different sort of perspectives. Mm-hmm. Same as you know Greg Goodman or, or um, Steve Dayan or Sabrina Farby. Some of these people work with all of the companies yeah. because you know the companies really want their honest knowledge in the research phase and the trial stage. Yeah. Um, but sure, if you're a junior injector it would almost be weird to spread yourself so thin because you don't have the experience. Yeah. And in fact, I, I wouldn't find that credible if I if I saw someone on stage who's, you know, with less experience talking as if like they had it. Mm. So I don't know. You, you could argue this both ways, um, but I certainly don't think that someone should make you sign a contract saying you can't. Yeah, but you might, you know, I'm just sort of asking the question to be sort of devil's advocate and sort of just tease this out and maybe be thinking asking what people might be thinking by listening to this is you know Mm. is there is there an implied pressure there that you know it's not said but you know that you know they want you all to themselves and there could be some feathers ruffled if you kind because i mean if you look at and i'm not going to point out any particular company because i I think i've seen instances of all this kind of behavior from all the Mm. companies i've had um, interactions with over the years is, you know, they'll turn up with their papers and their research and they'll say, our product is better than this person's product and here's our research that we paid for that shows that it is. Yeah. And so, you know, like it's, there's almost like this culture of wanting to say bad things about your competitors and how your product's so much better. Yeah. And so I wonder if that kind of filters through into sort of, you know, the way that, that sort of people who c- communicate that or educate I th- people. I mean, 
you know, me and Leah are a classic example. We always give each other banter. <laughs> yeah, always. Yeah. <laughs> Every, the first thing I'll say to him is, you know, some banter about, you know, his allegiance or mine. And it's fine. And we really respect each other, you know, deep down. But it, but it's funny <laughs> because we, we know our role. We yeah. know we know which sort of hat we're wearing, I yeah. guess. Yeah. But at the same time, we've got very professional respect for each other. And um, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's weird. It, I think it's more of a perceived barrier than a real yeah. barrier. Yeah. Um, we spoke. Was it? I don't know. Must be a year ago about this yeah. this thing of tribalism and yeah. and people sort of planting their flag in the sand, saying I'm here and you're there and we yeah. can't talk. It does happen. Yeah. You know, I go to conferences and maybe people who don't know as well. There does there is this sort of perceived us and them yeah. kind of thing, which is really silly. Yeah. I think a bit immature. Yeah. Uh, I would love to learn from them and they should hopefully learn from me if I can yeah. teach them something that they don't know. Yeah. I mean, well, I, yeah, it, it's crazy. I mean, cause I mean, so, some of the things I've seen over the years with, with reps that'll come into clinics and they'll see another competitive product in your cupboard and they'll almost scold you about it. Yeah. Like what's that doing here? Yeah. Like, you know, like it's, and it's sort of like, what? yeah, I think <laughs> that's happening? unprofessional yeah. as well. I mean, you know, I think you need to rise above that. Yeah. Uh, and then you actually would come across with more credibility that actually it's water for ducks back. You do you, and I'll just tell you what I know. Well, if your product's as good as what you say it is and, and you're able to back it up with training and support and education, then yeah. you shouldn't really need to go down that path because the product should speak for itself. Yeah, exactly. So I think it is changing. I guess that's why it was a pertinent question is because we're kind of living in that that world of, people starting to become consciously aware of, of the way things work mm. and and sort of some of the, the the challenges. And I mean, I don't mean any of this to sort of criticize any particular company. I understand, like I'm come from a commercial business background. I'm acutely aware of the commercial realities of this business. And, and, you know, pharmaceutical companies have done a lot of great things for the world. It's not a criticism of them. It's just a criticism of the system. Yeah. And I know they're working within the system. But I, I kind of think that, you know, maybe as we move forward, we need to look at different ways to do it so you remove that element of potential unconscious bias. I mean, yeah. the other potential challenge is that if you become, you know, a key opinion leader for a product and you're using that product, you you know, like I know, for example, you predominantly use toxin, uh, Botox and yeah. Duvederm range. So yes. what is your exposure to other products? I mean, so how would you be able to compare one with the other or know that you're using what's best for your patients if you've sort of been, you know, moved in like sort of, well, in some ways you've sort of limited your access to, mm. to other things that are on the market. So how do you know at any given point in time that you're doing the best by your patients or that there isn't something out there that's better or testing one against the other and be able to get up there and say with your hand on your heart, hey, look, I'm here representing company X yeah. and this is because I've used everything. Yeah. I've chosen this, I care well for this company and my opinions are backed up by the fact that I have a broad spectrum knowledge and I've tried and tested everything and, and this is why I'm saying this. Yeah, well, I've been injecting for nearly 16 years, I think yeah. 16 years in February coming. So in the UK, um, I was never using Botox. Yeah. Um, I used a lot of Dysport. I've, in fact, the first thing I used was the Omen. Yeah. Um, of course, I used Botox. Yeah. Uh, those were the only three available at the time. Um, here in Australia, we've now had a fourth toxin, yep. um, you know, launched and I've um, trialed that or, yep. or, or played with that, should I say. Um, I've used Bellatero. I've used um, many other brands yep. that aren't even available in Australia, but yep. this was obviously years ago. So I sort of feel like I, I do come from a, a, a pretty sound um, perspective of what works for me, what doesn't work for me. Of course, you know, in the last few years, um, 
from a business perspective, mm. let alone a um, you know a brand perspective, I've I've decided what I like, what mm. works, and I've always been honest with people when when people ask me that sort of question. I'm like, if I wasn't achieving a result with what's in my cupboard. I would have no questions turning to a new product yeah. to to trial that to see yeah. if it worked. So I guess I'm lucky in the in the sense that the portfolio I have works. Yeah. But as things evolve, I will have to evolve. Yeah. That, that's just logical, and I'd yeah. be stupid to say yeah. otherwise. Yeah. You know, we've had um, bias stimulators uh, become much more popular yeah. recently. Yeah. And currently, my portfolio in in the brand that I'm using doesn't have one. Yeah. So therefore, of course, I will trial other bias stimulators. That's just yeah. logical. Yeah, of course. Um, I train for Profilo because again, it's a different product that doesn't really live in the portfolio that you mentioned. So. Yeah. I use it. Yeah. So I think it's um, a little bit short-sighted to, to, for, for maybe people listening to think that you're sort of bought by a company. Yeah. You, you do have to try other things. Yeah. And you do have to sort of go to conferences, be exposed to different things. And from A23, there's plenty of new things yeah. coming. Yeah, oh, um, absolutely. So, you know, if you're an injector listening and you and you kind of a bit confused, just try stuff. Yeah. Reach out to the reps, have a little sesh with a new filler that you've never used, and you, you may well go, wow, I, I didn't even know this existed, but yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, but you do have to try. But at the same time, you've got to marry that with the commercial realities of your business. Um, and that sort of comes on yes. to our second question. <laughs> what was your question? Uh, well, <clears throat> well, you guys just listened to it. So, I mean, just to, to unpack it, it, it was the question relating to, you know, pharmaceutical companies offering discounts, for buying bulk, buying, bulk buying. And so I wasn't there to sort of say yes or no to that or to give my opinion. It was more a question around, you know, is it ethical to do that? And, mm. and I guess why we just sort of designed that question was because, you know, as practitioners like yourself, Jake, and the people listening to this, you know, you're sort of bound by a code of ethics, which is, you know, to do no harm and to do the best thing by the patient. And so, it sort of seems that whole, and I understand, again, this is not a criticism of a farmer at all. This is just looking at things from a completely objective perspective. When you've got a company <clears throat> that's incentivizing you to buy more products mm -hmm. and in return for that bulk buy, you get a reward. Mm -hmm. And that reward is a discount or a rebate or, you know, some financial incentive to buy more products than what you ordinarily would. Mm. And so what does that then do to the psyche of, of that business owner or that injector because whilst that is coming at you from one direction, you're then being imposed with, well, we want to be ethical. You never want to like push patients yeah. down a certain path because it's driven by a reason other than what's best medically and, and ethically for them. Yeah. And so it was, is it ethical to do that? Because you're not supposed to oversell. You know, if you've, if you've had a company approach you and say, if you buy 50 boxes of filler, we're going to give you 10 for free. Yeah. Well, all of a sudden you've got this thing in the back of your head saying, holy crap, I've got like 50 boxes of this stuff in my car, but it's only going to last two years. I need to get it out the door. Mm. Are you going to be inclined to suggest something that that patient potentially doesn't need or you're just going to sort of push the envelope a little bit further than what you would because you've now got that in the back of your head? So I wasn't giving an opinion. It was more, is it ethical and is it worth a discussion mm. and how do we feel about that? Yeah, I mean... Again, let's reference Subio. He yeah. he sort of, I don't know what the word is, he mocked, um, you know, the tiering system of how some of the companies um, 
I guess you know that you get more of a discount for diamond, for the more diamond, you buy. diamond encrusted level or something. Yeah, or? Like black diamond. I can't remember what it was, but anyway, you know, <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, it's funny. I, I guess, but I didn't. I didn't really understand it right. personally. I mean, I think we have discussed this on the podcast yeah. before. I mean, look, at, at your very basic level as a doctor, nurse, whatever, you're going to do what's right for your patient, or I certainly yeah. hope you do, because mm-hmm. if you're not, you're not. Um, practicing by you know the code of <laughs> of what opera wanted yeah. to, to work by mm-hmm. so that's kind of a given or it should be a given yeah. but i think what you're really getting at is that people may be lacking business acumen mm-hmm. they're making commercial decisions financial decisions maybe with not a great understanding of you know their projection of what they're actually going to do with that product over mm-hmm. a year and sure that puts people under stress if they've got thousands of dollars of stuff that's going to expire in a month because they haven't used it then i can sort of understand how that ethical debate comes in but it really shouldn't yeah it shouldn't i mean and just to sort of take it one step further as well like if you're in you know what you referenced in the previous part of our chat around um the kol thing if you're a new injector who doesn't have a lot of experience and Mm. as soon as these injectors sort of make their way into the marketplace you know, they're kind of fresh meat <laughs> for all these companies to sort of get 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 in front of them and, and tell them why they should stock their product. And so if you've sort of then been convinced that it's in your best interest to buy this, mm. then are you then limiting your ability to experience other products? I mean, are you well, able you are, to try those? And you're again? an idiot. Yeah. So, but I'm, yeah, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, like that, that I've seen that happen. Yeah. I've seen that happen lots of times where you, you'll get caught, you know, you'll in the heat of the moment, sounds like a great deal. You're sort mm. of all hyped up on, on this new great product or <laughs> the one you think is going to give you everything that you need. And then you sort of hamstring your ability to sort of experience everything because yeah. you've been, you can't afford to buy any other, you can't afford to buy the product. Well, look, if you're listening and you, and you, you know, injector or you've just opened a clinic, whatever, I understand that temptation because you want to save some dollars and yeah. you, know, you want to make your business grow. I get it. But, you know, if you know that you're only seeing a handful of patients a week or you're not quite sure or it's a bit up and down because the economy, buy small. Yeah. You can always buy again in, you know, um, in a month or, you know, whatever it is. But you need six months of a pattern of what your business looks like before you can make any bigger decisions. I mean, you're the expert. What would you say? Yeah, I mean, most businesses, and I was just talking to a client this morning in the States about this, you know, like she's looking to acquire a business and one of the businesses she's looking to acquire has just been, they've got like copious amounts of stock on their shelves, like devices coming out of everywhere. Mm. And it's like you see, and it's not even an old, it's only like two or three years old, this business. And so you just, and you know, both of these proprietors of this business still have other jobs outside of their their practice. Yeah. So there is this, I see it like, you know, with people that aren't business savvy, as you said, who, feel that they need to have everything in their shelves and every device under the sun mm. and they put themselves in really financially stressful situations, which again, it doesn't need to have to even have to just be product on your shelf. It could be a device that you got convinced to buy. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, the break-even cost of your business every week goes up by a couple of thousand dollars mm. because of repayments and money that you owe companies. That can mean the difference between being profitable or losing money. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that tends to happen a lot. We get caught up in the, you know, because you, you, as, as, the, as the practitioner, right, you want to have the latest and the greatest. You want to be able to not have to say no to your patients and be able to offer them everything that you can. So there is that. 
I don't, I, yeah. The answer is yes, but but I'm also a bit of a cynic, as you know. <laughs> and anything that new comes on the market, I, I'm actually probably, for the most part, going to be a um, a watcher rather than a trendsetter. Yeah, not for everything. I mean, you know, if it's TJ approved, if I've seen it used in multiple other countries for several years, yeah. I've obviously got way more um, trust in that product. Yeah. But you know, if something was totally new, I would be a watcher, not 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 a trendsetter, and I certainly wouldn't uh, commit to a bulk buy. So you're a voyeur sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, I, I want to balance this argument yeah. and, and, and actually um, give Pharma a bit of a plug because, yeah. you know, they often get a raw deal. I've seen, obviously, both sides of it as both the customer but also a trainer yeah. and, uh, you know, yeah. worked with many different people. It's very difficult for them. Um, yeah. At least here in Australia, I can't speak for other countries, the way it works is you buy the product from them or, or almost the bigger brand, should I say, Um they obviously have to train up those those users their product in a basic safe way that's yep. approved yeah and you know that 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 all costs money you're putting yeah. on free training you're not charging for it you've got to have facilities yeah. you've got to have staff you've got to have marketing like yeah they, they've sort of got to make money somehow and also establish a relationship with injectors yeah um they go to these conferences spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to you know bring trainers and have a stand and a presence yeah so you know how are they supposed to justify that but also not yeah. you know have some sort of business model that works yeah and plus all of the regulations that they need to comply with. Yeah. I mean I know some, some of the conversations that we've had with various um, pharma companies that have um, sponsored uh, episodes with us the amount of legal i guess <laughs> the legal sort of technicalities that you not, need to work around or things you can't and can't say in the semantics of certain words versus other words it's it's sort of it's a, I, I i agree with you they're in a really difficult position because then you've also got sort of the inane approach of the regulators which is you can't talk about specific products mm. so everyone's talking in code and trying to work out loopholes of how they can get around certain things and it just seems so nonsensical and yeah. and not in the patient's best interest yeah um which again makes it more difficult for them yeah yeah so you know if you want to make your product more attainable for people i kind of get it yeah i, I mean I don't see an ethical debate. I just see this as a poor business strategy if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know the answer to the problem, but I think that it's something that we need to think about and, and discuss and, and be honest about, you yeah. know, what's good about the system, what's bad about the system, because that's the only way that we'll evolve and get better is to sort of challenge the status quo and say, well, you know, this is a potential issue. How can we how can we work around this as an industry to try and make sure that people are getting relevant and fair information mm. and the patients are being looked after? And, yeah. I, th I think a big thing in our industry, and you sort of touched on it, is this, this FOMO, fear of missing out. <laughs> yeah. Um, people get whipped up into a hype over a product, a device, and I don't know. I mean, you, you advise people on on things like that. How, how do you teach someone to to sort of objectively approach a business decision? Yeah, I mean, I found that doctors and nurses are really easy to sell to. They've just got that. Some aren't. Some are well, muddy you, critical. You're an asshole, but I mean. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I love you. Um, but no, so a lot of them are very easy to sort of you know they're they're easy to sort of 
convince of things mm. um, and they get, as you said, they get caught up in the hype and because a lot of them don't have that cynical, I mean, the only way you learn is through experience mm. and generally the sort of experiences that teach you lessons are negative experiences or things that have gone wrong. And so it's not a criticism of doctors or nurses to say that you're gullible. It's just you just don't have enough experience in the commercial world mm. to be able to sniff out bullshit or to be able to sort of break things down that are non-medical in sort of a, a logical in logical way. Yeah. And so I think that's part of just the education of, of doctors and, and nurses in general that, and we've discussed this millions of times, um, is acquiring a skill set that goes beyond just what you do with the needle or the syringe um, is actually having a, a basic degree of, of business acumen and to understand what all the levers in your business, what are the things that are going to dictate success from failure or profit from, from loss mm. um, and think about things critically. You know, it, it's sort of like a layperson trying to interpret a, a medical journal. Like I couldn't do it because I just don't come from that world. Yeah. So to ask someone that's medical to look at a profit and loss statement or a balance sheet or, or sort of, you know, do forecasting or, you know, all the concepts that, that come natural to a business person on how to assess viability of an idea, mm. they don't have it. Yeah. And it's not through their fault. It's just it's just not what you've studied or your experience. What, what would you do? I mean, you've, you've owned clinics yeah. and I'm sure you've never really been in a serious situation where you overbought stock. I but, have, yeah. I have. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe it's different because you're in a franchise yeah. and, and you had lots of yeah. people to speak to, but what, mm. what would you say to an injector who's bought 100 boxes of stuff? I don't know, they've got 50 left and, and it's expiring in the next few months and they well, know they're not going to get through it. Yeah. What, well, what, I mean, what the, the, can you do legally? Well, I think that conversations that I've, I've had with, with pharma companies in the past or suppliers, let's talk about um, products. Let's talk about in like sort of injectable products because devices is a whole other discussion. Yeah. Um, is that you might have an agreement with them that if you don't get through that product within the expiry period, that they will then swap it out for mm -hmm. a product that's got a longer use by date on it. Because they can use it for something else, training or whatever yeah. it is, right? Because yeah. you can't legally inject a product that's expired. Yes. So I would think about risk mitigation. So how do I minimize the risk of being stuck with 20 or 30 syringes of you know tens of thousands of dollars of product on my shelf and yeah. having to throw it in the bin um, is to come up with a strategy that will circumvent that. So talking to the pharma companies to say, hey, I'm happy to commit to this order, but hey, if it isn't received the way that I think it's going to be received or you haven't, you know, for, you know, we forecast together of what it's going to look like, I need to know that I'm not going to get stuck with this product. So yep. can we come to an agreement where I will give you six months notice when this product's expiring and you can swap it out for something that's more current? So that's I've got such a really practical solution. Yeah. Off my, I find a, a lot of issues that, that um, clinics run into is they just don't have good stock control policy at all. So now we're venturing sort of into sort of <laughs> operational stuff, but that's the way we roll, um, is they just don't have good stock control policies mm. so they're not doing stock control on a monthly basis who which do you is think is the best person to look after that is it the injector do yeah they, well i mean if, they... it's, if it's your business i mean you're the one that's taking the money out of your pocket to pay for this stuff so at the end of the day the buck stops with you yeah. so it's about putting systems and processes in place so you know you should be checking your stock twice a day if it's just you it can be slightly different but once you start <laughs> getting a day uh, for uh, me yeah, yeah yeah once you start getting other people involved and there's multiple hands. Uh, and In a clinic like what you used to run, yeah, you, have you, to. you want to be in but there I think four times a, a day. An absolute minimum, you should be like just doing a sanity check once a week on your stock. Yeah. So, you, you know, you should be able to say on Monday I had X files of this and X syringes of that. Yeah. And at the end of the week I've got this and that should within, you know, a small degree of variance. Fillers, not so much because you can't just, a syringe just doesn't disappear, but units can kind of, you know, some get stuck in the barrel or, you know, whatever, you know, your dilution might not be completely bang on. 
Um, but you should, within a small degree of variance, at the end of that, let's call it that week, the opening, what you opened with versus what you closed with should roughly equate yep. to what you've used. So it should be in your drug book. Yes. And so that's the way you sanity check. And then so I find a lot of people don't keep on top of their stock. So they don't know when it came in. No idea. Uh, when it went out. Yep. Um, that sort of opens a door for theft because as soon as staff members know that you're not meticulous and process driven, you know, if you give people an opportunity to do the wrong thing, unfortunately, sometimes people will take advantage of that. Yep. So just remove that opportunity altogether. Um, but also just knowing for yourself, like, you know, when new products comes in, just something as simple as taking the filler and putting the stuff that's new at the bottom. Yeah. So you're not continually loading up new product on the top. And then I've, I've, had, I've had this happen to me. So I, this is how I know because, you know, I had four clinics at some point with 12 injectors across multiple rooms. And, and you know, yeah, I, I would maybe injector would do that. But I find what often happens is it gets delegated to, I don't know, the receptionist who happens to meet the, the delivery guy and, mm -hmm. and they unpack the box. And of yep. course, they have no idea because yeah. that's not what they're doing. And, and I don't want to the wrong thing but I'm pretty sure legally that product needs to be handled handled by yeah. a nurse or a doctor yeah. shouldn't be given to someone who doesn't you know understand it yeah. honestly or even just going through and just like putting a sticker on boxes like a bright orange or green sticker that will indicate you're in the last six months yeah or something like that just because yeah. it's easy when you get busy to sort of and before you know it you get to your cupboard day and like oh shit this yeah. stuff's this stuff's about to go yeah so I think that that's that's something I'd recommend is getting into a good stock control process. Mm. Um, you know, going through your basic financials to know, you know, how much is this product worth to you? Like as, um, I guess the wholesale value, what's it worth retail value? You know, other other things that you potentially could be doing with that money that are going to be benefit. Like, you know, do you want to blow, you know, 20 grand on all this filler that you're not going to get through for six months? Or do you want to put that money towards another staff member or a marketing campaign yeah. or wh whatever? Um, so it's just about just being methodical and, and having a broad spectrum understanding of your business and all, and all the sort of levers that you can pull. Yeah. Yeah. Does that answer your question, I guess? I think you've answered my question. We've <laughs> gone off piece. Yes, that's what Yet we do. again. That's what we do. So we'll wrap this one up, guys. Yeah. Um, bit of a different one. Yeah. Um, hopefully you enjoyed hearing us live yes. and putting people under... Slight pressure. Yeah, that's good. But all in, all in a good way. Um, thank you to the guests who were on the panel with us. Yeah. Uh, you know, we'll love to have you on the podcast again, all of you. Yeah. And um, what should we do next year? What should we plan for A24? Well, I mean, I think Stephen said he, well, I don't think he said he hadn't, he hadn't had any feedback yet. So, I mean, hopefully. Probably too early. He's probably freaking exhausted. Yeah, but I mean, we'd love to be involved. I mean, I think that, you know, you and I like the idea of having those real discussions. And I think that quite often you can come to these conferences and it feels very curated and it, it's very sort of, you know, because you've got limited time and so much going on. There's such a full agenda that you don't really get to deep dive into stuff. So I mean, it would be great for us to be able to have like a more detailed discussion with maybe Three or four people. Yeah, and be able to sort of go back and forth a bit more and sort mm. of flesh these conversations out. Yeah. Because um, I think that's what kind of people people want. They want they want more detail. They want to have have a, like a discussion reach its natural conclusion rather than being on a timer, which is fine because I understand that, you know, that was a time we were given. But I think if I was to have a wish list, that would be one of them was to have a, a little bit more time yeah. to explore some of these topics because um, they are quite complicated and then nuanced. And, you know, I, I often walk into a conversation with you with one opinion and then you'll go, well, what about this? And then I'll go, oh, yeah, it's actually a good point and, you know, maybe, <laughs> I, maybe I should think about it differently. So I think that's how we all learn is, is just by listening and, and, and 
fleshing these things out. Yeah. Well, if any of you guys were in the audience and you thought, oh, I wish they did this or that, shoot us a message on Instagram, yeah. inside Aesthetics Podcast, and um, just tell us what your ideas are or, or who would you like us to talk to or... Yeah, or, you know, uh, write to your next conference organizer and demand <laughs> yes. that we're there. Yeah. <laughs> give, give us a room for the whole conference. Yeah. No, definitely wouldn't want to do that. Um, all right. Well, thanks, buddy. It was good. Thanks for the chat and uh, good to be on stage with you. And um, yeah fun unpacking this discussion it was weird seeing you in a suit well, oh i know well, right? waistcoat and suit trousers yeah i don't think i've ever seen you dress like that well there you go maybe it's a sign of things to come yeah <laughs> right, mate, <see laughs> have a soon. good one bye. bye for our latest news follow us on instagram at inside aesthetics podcast if you want to get in touch with myself or david follow us on instagram as well at dr jake sloan and david underscore inside aesthetics join our ia patreon platform for invaluable business and injectable education get access to our global community of like-minded professionals live and interactive zoom sessions hints and tip videos webinars and more head over to www.insideaesthetics.com forward slash patreon for more information